By the early 20th century, Flint was already on its third great industry, each a descendant of the last. In 1865, a sawmill began operating on the Flint River, slicing the pine woods into lumber. Once the forests were exhausted, Flint used the timber to become the nation's carriage-making capital. When the automobile made carriages obsolete, a Scottish-born tinkerer named David Dunbar Buick added an engine and formed the company that grew into General Motors. For a factory town, war meant work. In the teens and twenties, Flint's population quadrupled from 38,500 to 156,600. GM headhunters sought out dirt farmers all over the Middle West and the Mississippi Valley, handing them one-way tickets to Vehicle City as Flint nicknamed itself. The newcomers slept in shacks, tents, and railroad cars. Earl Ketchum's family rented a tiny house, all he could afford on his factory pay. After the war, Earl tried farming again, failed again, and returned to Flint for good. Everett grew up a city boy with no agricultural ambitions. After graduating from high school in 1933, he enlisted in General Motors as an apprentice tool and die maker at 50 cents an hour. Not only were the wages low, the job could disappear in a day. If a supervisor wanted to hire his brother-in-law, he created an opening by handing a worker a yellow slip, the color of termination. Bachelors were laid off while married men with lower seniority kept their jobs. Wives were laid off because their husbands worked in the plant. The supervision, they had no control either, Everett recalled. You could come in to work today as a supervisor and have a desk and have a yellow slip on there that said, you're all done. Labor's last great campaign to unionize American workers, a 1919 steel strike, had been crushed in the post-World War I Red Scare. But Franklin D. Roosevelt was now president, and his National Industrial Recovery Act gave workers the right to bargain collectively. In 1936, the United Auto Workers sent a missionary to Flint. If the UAW failed to organize Vehicle City, it had no future. General Motors tried to pacify its employees with a pay raise and time and a half for overtime, but it also sacked many of the 150 men who had been brave enough to join the UAW. What worker would risk his job to join a union too weak to win a contract? GM controlled Flint so thoroughly that the Genesee County Relief Board asked clients whether they belonged to unions or read labor publications. The workers didn't just want more money. They wanted an end to the arbitrary firings. They also wanted an end to assembly line speed-ups. The speed-up was profitable for GM. 1936 was Chevrolet's first million-selling year, but workers were breaking down under the hectic pace. Working conditions are so bad a man can hardly keep up the pace for nine hours, a Flint auto worker wrote to Secretary of Labor Francis Perkins. I haven't worked an eight-hour day for two years. It's not the amount of pay so much. A man hasn't time to get a drink of water and take care of his personal affairs during work hours. At lunchtime, a man has to shut one of his two machines, take off his apron, and walk a block or two and wash his hands, walk back, Find his lunch pail and eat lunch on a piece of sheet metal that has been out in a car or truck for several hours and just unloaded.